In Romans chapter 8, we have been speaking a lot and looking into the Word a lot in how the Holy Spirit is wanting to teach us the glory of the truth of justification and working that in us to bring us to a place where we have strong confidence in God. That's the purpose. If you and I have faith that my life has been declared righteous by God, when you get up in the morning and God looks at you and in, speaks into your heart and says, you are righteous before me. When you go to bed at night and lay down upon your pillow and you hear God speaking this clear word into your heart, you are righteous before me. There's no greater confidence of love than that. And I've found in my life and in speaking to others of God's children that there is a lack of this confidence. So many times we get up in the morning and we're looking inwardly for confidence or we're struggling with condemnation or we go to bed at night feeling like somehow we're just a failure today. I failed the Lord. And so this confidence towards Christ and my relationship to Him diminishes. The confidence erodes out of our life. And when Satan does that, erodes the confidence of Christ's love in my life, he has a big advantage over me. He can then come with strong temptations of discouragement, leading to depression, and eventually suicide. And this is a big problem in my life, in your life, in Christians' lives all over the world. Some to more degree than others. But we live in a world where men and women are killing themselves because they have their confidence in Christ declaring them righteous. Their confidence in His love has so eroded they don't want to live any longer. They're so discouraged about themselves that they literally take their physical lives but many will not perhaps go that far. Yet this erosion affects us in a hundred different lesser ways, but yet the same impactful ways. We let it rob us of our relationship with Jesus Christ and the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And when we lose that strength, relationships around us deteriorate. And we allow that to affect us in becoming discouraged of perhaps coming together and meeting together. And the Bible warns us, don't be like many who are being discouraged with the fact of coming together with others of God's children and encouraging each other because that is a huge blow to the confidence of your love in Christ how we love each other and receive love from each other and give love to each other 
develops, directly affects our relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4 speaks to this. Look at this word. 1 John chapter 4. Actually, sorry, it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. How do you know that? How do you reassure yourself that you have passed out of death, spiritual death, into the life of Christ? I wonder how you do that. The Word of God speaks it this way. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Is that how you get that knowledge? Or do you reassure yourself some other way? By some feeling you have towards Jesus? Or some other thing that perhaps you feel God is blessing my life in a financial way? Or There are many ways that you can reassure yourself that God has truly done a spiritual work in your life and has brought you out of spiritual death into the life in Jesus Christ. But they're all prop-ups. This is how you know. And isn't it interesting? What Satan loves to do is give us alternative prop-ups to our faith in Jesus Christ rather than the real thing. The real thing is, you'll know it by how you love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Do you really believe that? If I really believe this, dear brother and sister, one of the goals of my life, actually the foremost goal of my life, will be to love the brethren. And when we go through a difficult time in loving the brethren, whether it's my wife as my sister in the Lord, our children as brethren, or each other in the church, I find that Satan can give me a really good, many good spiritual reasons to stay at home and hibernate. Going through what we went through in the last four or five months, that that was what I wanted to do. Just stay at home, take a break for a whole year, me and Jesus and the Word and many books. That's what I wanted to do. And the Lord instead gave me a church family. And as I thought about that this morning, I, I am so blessed. I am so incredibly blessed and was so reassured that I have passed from death to life because the Lord gave me brothers and sisters to love and receive love from. Don't let Satan cheapen this experience and deceive us through alternative ways. In verse 30 of Romans chapter 8, And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, These he also glorified. 
We spoke about God's call in our life and looked at many examples in the word of how God called people to himself. And God has called every one of us. God has called you and me to himself to be predestined for this destination. He's called us together for a destination. The destination is, look back, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What's your destination? What is our destination? Is it to get a lot of money? Do you have some earthly destination that you're going for with your life? Some earthly goal that you have set and said, I'm working towards this in my life. Perhaps it's a spiritual one. I'm working towards a particular call of work in the kingdom or the body of Christ. But he tells us, God tells us what his destination is for you and me. It's this. To be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's God's destination for you and me. To be conformed, to be made like Jesus. And when you and I exchange my way and my thoughts, our own primitive, personal destinations for God's, then God begins to do that work in you and I through calling us strongly and personally, justifying us, declaring us righteous, and then he goes one step further, glorifying us. What is this glorification that he's going to do in our life? I think it's twofold. One is, there is a glory that will happen 1 John chapter 3 tells us this way. It gives it quite clearly to us. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, Now we're children of God, we're justified, we're declared righteous, and it has not yet appeared, has it to you? It hasn't to me yet, appeared as yet what I shall be. What am I going to be? What is that going to look like? What does my destination really look like? Do you know? Hasn't appeared yet to me. But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. That's what I know. I don't know what it's all going to look like. I don't know what I'm going to look like spiritually when I'm changed into his image and I'm made just like him. But this I know. I'm his child and I know that when I see him, it's going to happen in the twinkling of of an eye, First Thessalonians tells us. So what do we do? Every man that has this hope, look at these words, and I lost my page in the book. Here we go. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him 
purifies himself even as he is pure. That becomes my destination. To become pure like he is pure. Pure in every way. My faith becoming purer. And how does the Lord set about to do that? There is a way. There is a way in which he purifies my relationship towards him. I want to look at that way with you today. Jesus prayed an amazing prayer in John chapter 17, verse 22. And I've I've pondered this prayer over my life many times. But as I was crying out to the Lord for a greater revelation and a greater purification of it in my own life this week, the Lord gave me a revelation and I believe He is actually going to allow me to experience the purification of this word. Look at it with me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Husband and wife, can you say amen to this in your marriage? Are you sharing this glory of Christ in your home? It's Jesus' prayer really being answered in your relationship day after day after day. That glory which God has given to Jesus, He's sharing with you, husband and wife, and the result is, You're becoming one together with the Father. That's his prayer. But he's also praying it directly toward the church. I started with the home because the home, the church, is made of homes. And if it's not in your home, it'll never be in the church. Let's not fool ourselves. If our love, if the love of Jesus Christ is not in our personal way, in the closest relationship that God declares is similar, the most similar to Christ and His church is a husband and wife relationship on the earth, then you'll never have it in the church. It starts right here. This is where it starts. And if it doesn't start there, it's fake. You're fooling yourself and others. The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. And I've seen Jesus in a very personal way stand in front of me and hand it to me. Here, Phil, I'm praying this for you today. Will you take, will you take it? What glory is he talking about? What was he about to do? To be crucified. The glory of the cross is what he's talking about. The glory of death. That's what he's talking about. But not just death. Jesus wasn't looking to die. 
For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame. He didn't just say, I've come here to die and looking forward to the death. Read the story of his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was he looking forward to dying? Then why would he beg his heavenly Father to take this cup away from him? He wasn't. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured. That's the key word. When the cross of Jesus comes into my life, there's only one thing that will make me conformed into his image, and that's the word endurance. Endurance is laid upon my life. The cross of Jesus Christ. And without it, you won't even get through the garden. You won't. You'll be like the disciples. You'll fall asleep there. You won't comprehend what's all going on. And at the end of the garden experience, you'll run for your life. They all ran for their lives, stripped and naked. They never made it to the cross. And likewise, you and I will never even make it to the cross. We might make it to the garden. We might make it through the Last Supper, that real close intimate time where Jesus shares His love with us and says, I love you. But then when He begins to bring that conformity and says, now let me form you. I am the potter and you're the clay. Here comes my chisel knife. To conform. Will you run for your life? Or will you receive that glory believing the joy of oneness lies ahead of you? The joy of the glory of a oneness in my marriage with Jesus Christ is on the other side. And that, that gives me the strength to endure to endure. And without endurance, we'll never even get to the cross. In Romans chapter 5, Paul speaks of this glory. Verse 2, Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand And we, and I want you to notice this word, we believe in hope of the glory of God. Are you reading your Bibles? Did I misquote something? What is the word that I misquoted? We exalt, not we believe. Our belief is already standing Notice, obtain our introduction into faith, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. And now, to press on into the glory of God, it takes more than just faith, dear brothers and sisters. It takes a faith that will press us through, take us, give us the endurance to exult in the glory of God. Two, for the joy set before me, 
to experience and taste that joy while I'm enduring the cross. And without it, you won't have endurance. That's been my experience. Now, I'm not talking about happy feelings. Exalt. Having a, a, an, a, an exaltation. I want you to think about what is your experience when you exalt in God? Have you exalted in God lately? By what means? His blessing? Oh, he answered a prayer. And we had a wonderful, bountiful week. We really were stressed out about this meeting, this financial need, and God did it. This week he did it. Did you exalt in that? Is that exalting in God? Maybe you were praying for healing, and God did it. Is that your exaltation? What about the glory of the cross in your life? Have you ever exalted there? I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, I wonder how many Christians, how many of God's children have never tasted and drank, participated in this exaltation of Christ in our lives. Perhaps that's why so many are so discouraged so often. When the cross comes, we don't endure. We can't exult in it. And yet Jesus so clearly speaks joy in the experience of his cross, of having taken on the shame and the reproach of Jesus Christ onto my life. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Do you know what he's talking about? Can you say, yes, Lord, this is my life? In Matthew chapter 5. Notice he begins in chapter, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you find a poverty in your spirit? And I'll define that a bit. Perhaps I can define it by using the opposite. How do you feel when you feel strong in spirit? Rich in spirit? How do you feel? Someone tell me. Confident. Confident, Ready. You feel like perhaps some of us feel who are getting ready to run a race. I've got the feeling many times. I'm in the truck most of the day and... I'm getting feeling lethargic and I got to get my heart pumping and I get my shoes on and my running shorts on and I'm I'm ready. I'm ready, man. I feel pumped, confident. And I start running. Now it feels even better. And then I get to my first hill and I start feeling some pain in my legs. And the breathing is coming harder. The skin is starting to melt a little. Sweat pops out of the skin. And you're about a mile and a half out and you're starting to say, I just want to walk. Where's the exaltation then? Then 
is the endurance. Without endurance, dear brother and sister, you'll never be able to experience the exaltation. This, that's strength I was describing to you. But he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When I think of someone who is poor, I think of another word that's very closely akin, that describes a person. If you are very poor, you are dependent. You're dependent. If you live on a level of poverty where you need your job, not to put money in savings account, but to put food on your table, to eat that night, you are dependent on that job. Are you dependent in your spirit or are you independent in your spirit? To me, that closely, clearly defines it. If you are dependent for the life of Jesus Christ, then when the cross comes in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is also the kingdom of heaven. Notice the two get the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit and those who are persecuted. Then why are you praying that God would take away the persecution? You're asking God to take away a blessing from your life. Do you get that? Maybe we would change our prayers. Perhaps our very prayers are robbing us of the glory of the cross of Jesus. What does this cross look like? Verse 11. Blessed are you when men cast insults on you. Wait, what? They insult me? They call me names? They speak derogatory way towards me? They speak in a way that is not flattering. It's insulting. And they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Falsely. Now it's not true. Falsely. On account of me. What am I to do? Oh God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't take it. Please deliver me from this persecution, Lord. What about this? Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. Luke chapter 6 says, Rejoice and leap for joy. Now, I don't know if you guys leap for joy, but my boys do that a lot. Yay! When they're super happy about something. Right, guys? They, just, they don't try. They just, they just start jumping. Do you jump for the cross of Christ? Or have you completely missed the exaltation? This, this exalting in hope the glory of God. I'm not saying you're going to feel like it. Jesus doesn't say anything about how we feel here. He says, do it. Just do it. Through endurance, rejoice in your spirit. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, 
But may it never be that I should boast. Glory is the word. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the effect of the cross on his life. Through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Yet we so easily boast in so many cheaper things, don't we? It's so easy for us to boast in other things that God does for us. Not saying it's wrong to count our blessings, but he's talking about glorying. He's talking about something that really gets me, that that I can boast about. And Paul says, I won't boast in anything, nothing about the Lord, except in this doings of God's light, God's work in my heart, the cross. That's what I'll boast about. All other boasting I've come to realize in my life is cheap glory. It's something that will easily pass away and it won't really change me. It might be a blessing. I'm not saying it's sin. But I'm not really exalting my destination to be conformed into his likeness inside my inner man, being changed from glory to glory. And if I can't exult in it, if there's no joy set before me, most likely I'll never endure it. And so we live on blessings. Give me, give me this, Lord. Give me, give me that, Lord. Give me, give me mentality. Oh, I really wanted this and I really wanted that. Oh, Lord, you're not answering me. The boys, we sang that song with the boys. All the world trapped in, we'll deny it again, but we want everything we see. We've got blessings galore and we still want more. Oh, Lord, you're not answering me. And he says, give me your life. Give me your heart's affections. First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Verse 16 tells us this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but of the world. How does the cross deal with me? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I find I'm alive. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and has given himself for me. And there's a little twist that Satan has done with this word that has so often condemned my life. At the end, I've lived this way, though I've never quoted it this way, but my thoughts were this way. And the life that I now live, I live by the love that I have for Jesus and the things I do for Him. And it puts me under condemnation because when I look at how I love Jesus, I failed. I failed. And I can agree with John in 1 John where he says, if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. Lord, I failed you. But when I look 
at the cross of Jesus Christ as His love for me. And I put my faith in the love that He has for me. There's no condemnation. I'm not looking at my failure in this cross that He has laid upon my life. I'm saying, He bore the cross for me. And now He's calling me into this crucified life, the resurrected life that He already has and now wants to share with me. He's not calling us just to die. He's calling us to live. Watchman Nee was a dear brother back in the early 1900s. He died in 1972, I think it was. And he was a pastor whom the Lord used in an amazing way in the Church of China, especially through World War II and after the aftermath of that, when the Japanese came into China and slaughtered, butchered people. It was horrible what the Chinese suffered in World War II from the hand of the Japanese. But as he shepherded, as he called the church, his little flock, God's little flock, not his little flock. He made statements many times leading God's people and encouraging them this way. He said, quote, To preach the cross is relatively easy, but to be a crucified person preaching the cross is not easy. A person who desires to preach the cross should adopt the way of the cross. The cross we preach to others should first crucify us. Unquote. And as I thought about this, by the way, the way he died, he spent the last 20 years, when he was at the age of 50, he was imprisoned by the Communist Party. And they tortured him for 20 years. And at about the 20th year, there was a campaign in the West, the Western churches in America and the UK. They found knowledge about this guy. And there was a big campaign, political campaign, and pressure put against upon the Chinese government to release him. And so they did, under one condition. They said, we will release you, Mr. Ni, if you'll go to the U.S. But you can't stay in China. And he said, no, I won't go. And this is the word he quoted. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 37, verse 35, sorry. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And the next year he died in prison. And the Lord asked me, would you go? After 20 years, being tortured at 70 years old. And many of your brothers and sisters have come together and have petitioned your release. Would you go? I honestly don't know. But I'm inspired by his faith. 
He was looking for a city not made with hands. He wasn't looking for an America. He was looking for heaven. And his faith had been set there to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And you know what God did? You would think that this man could have been released and come to the West and have preached, who knows, for the next 20 years of his life and have brought many, many, many souls to a deeper relationship with Jesus or to salvation through the testimony of his life, right? And God could have. But God gave him the faith to die in prison. And today, though he be dead, yet he speaks. You can read many, what publishers have done with many of his sermons as they went and they've put it into book form after he died. And today, the world is filled with his sermons that he preached. He only read, he only wrote one book. All the other books come from sermons that someone felt inspired to begin to write down and publish. The glory of the cross. The cross deals with my world. And we're going to look at that next Sunday, Lord willing. At the practical ways in which God, the Lord Jesus, and our Father are calling you and I to be conformed into His image, the way of the cross that leads us home. I have a song that I ask the guys to play. Scott, would you play that song in closing? And I just want to say, dear brothers and sisters, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today, as you sit here and you realize I've been dodging the way of the cross. I've went to the garden, but oh, like I ran for my life. Whether it's in your marriage, or in your personal walk with Jesus Christ, or in your relationship with His people. God is calling today. And if you feel like you need to make an outward commitment to that, and just want to come up here and kneel, or kneel at your chair, or just in the quiet and privacy of your own heart, you want to come and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to take up my cross again today. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. And today, I want to come. Come. And take up the cross. And realize, He's standing here waiting for us. He's going to walk with us with this cross. And it's His joy and His love in our hearts that gives us the strength to exalt in it. That gives us the endurance. And He sets the joy ahead of us. God bless you.